Section 19 of The Most Extraordinary Trial of William Palmer by Anonymous. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Tenth Day, May the 24th. The Lord Chief Justice Campbell, Mr. Baron Alderson, and Mr. Justice Cresswell took their seats at ten o'clock. The interest felt in this extraordinary trial was by no means diminished, notwithstanding the tedious length to which the proceedings have extended. The interior of the court was crowded in every part, crowds were collected outside, and numbers of persons who had considered themselves fortunate in obtaining orders of admission from the sheriff were ranged in long rows along the passages leading to the court, anxiously awaiting the only chance of admission which was afforded them by some more fortunate brother spectator vacating his position. The counsel for the Crown were, as on previous days, the Attorney-General, Mr. James Q.C., Mr. Bodkin Q.C., Mr. Wellsby, and Mr. Huddleston. Counsel for the prisoner, Mr. Sergeant Shee, Mr. Grove Q.C., Mr. Gray, and Mr. Keneally. Close of the Medical Evidence The names of the jurors having been called over, Mr. Oliver Pemberton, lecturer on anatomy of Queen's College, Birmingham, and surgeon to the general hospital of that town, was sworn and examined by Mr. Grove Q.C. Witness said, I was present at the examination of the body of Cook after its exhumation in January, and closely examined the condition of the spinal cord. It was not, however, in such a condition as to enable me to say confidently in what state it was immediately after death. The upper part, where the brain had been separated, was green in colour from the effects of decomposition. The remaining portion, though fairly preserved, for the body had been buried two months, was so soft as to prevent my drawing any opinion of its state immediately after death. Cross-examined by the Attorney-General I saw the body on the day after the bony canal had been opened. The opening of that canal would, to a certain extent, expose the cord, but the outer covering, or duramata, was not opened, to the best of my recollection, until I arrived. I attended the examination on the part of the prisoner. Mr. Bolton, Professor of Queen's College, Birmingham, was also present on the occasion on the part of Palmer. By Mr. Sergeant Shee, was there any difference of opinion expressed on that occasion by the medical men? The Attorney-General objected to the question. Lord Campbell decided that it could not be put. Mr. Sergeant Shee said that this witness brought to a conclusion the medical evidence on the part of Palmer. General Evidence Henry Matthews, examined by Mr. Grove. I am Inspector of Police at the Euston Square Railway Station. I was stationed there on Monday, 19th November last. At two o'clock in the afternoon of that day, a train left London which would stop at Rugeley. No train after that hour stops at Rugeley. The express train left at five in the afternoon. It is due at Stafford at 8.42pm. It did not arrive till 8.45. The distance from Stafford to Rugeley by railway is nine miles. I do not know the distance by road. The shortest and quickest mode of getting to Rugeley after the two o'clock train would be by the five o'clock express to Stafford, and thence by road to Rugeley. Joseph Foster, examined by Mr. Gray. I am a farmer and grazier, 
at Sibbertoft in Northamptonshire. I kept the George Hotel at Welford in that county up to Lady Day last. I knew the late John Parsons Cook for many years previous to his death. I have met him at various places in the hunting field, at dinners, and elsewhere. I have had opportunities of judging his health. I think he was of a very weak constitution. I form that judgment from having been with him on several occasions when he suffered from bilious attacks. Those are the only circumstances upon which I formed that opinion. Cross-examined by Mr. James. I knew Mr. Cook for ten years. He hunted regularly for the last two years in Nottinghamshire. He kept sometimes two and sometimes three horses. I have known him to hunt three days a week when he was well. I knew Mr. George Pell. There was a cricket club at Welford. I do not know whether Cook was a member of the club. I have seen him there. I saw Cook for the last time at Lutterworth, about the middle of October last. I last knew him to have a bilious sick headache about a year and a half ago. Laughter. Lord Chief Justice Campbell. I most strongly implore that there will be no expression of any sensation evinced at the answers given by any of the witnesses. By Mr. James. I saw Cook at my own house when he complained of suffering. He did not hunt on that day. He came to my house to meet the hounds, but did not go. He was dressed in his hunting dress. I could not swear, but I did not see him next, within a week afterwards in the hunting field. By Lord Campbell. I never saw Cook sick on any other occasion, except about seven years previous at Market Harborough, at the cricket match after dinner. George Myatt, Sadler, examined by Mr. Gray. I was at Shrewsbury Races on the day when Polestar won. I was at the Raven Hotel on the evening of that day, Wednesday. I saw Cook and Palmer there about twelve o'clock on the night of that day. I was waiting in the room at the hotel when they came in. I considered Cook was the worst for liquor. They proposed having a glass of brandy and water each before they went to bed. Each of us had a glass of brandy and water. When Cook commenced to drink, he made a remark that he fancied it was not good. He drank part of it off, and said he thought there was something in it. He then gave it to someone near him to taste. Cook proposed to have some more, and Palmer said he would not have any more, except Cook drank his up. They had no more brandy and water, and Palmer and I went to bed. I slept in the same room with Palmer. The brandy was brought in a decanter, and the brandy which I had was poured out of the decanter, I don't know by whom. I did not leave the room during the time when Palmer and Cook came in to me until we went to bed. I did not see anything put into the brandy and water, and I do not think anything could have been put in without my seeing it. Palmer and I went into the bedroom and left Cook in the sitting-room. I slept in the same bedroom as Palmer. When I went to bed I locked the door, and Palmer did not go out of the room during the night. When Palmer got up in the morning, he asked me to go and call Cook. I did so. I went to Cook's bedroom door, rapped at it, and he told me to come in. I went in, and he told me how ill he had been during the night, and that he had been obliged to send for a doctor. He asked me what it was that was put into the brandy and water, and I told him I did not know that anything had been put into it. He asked me to send for the doctor, meaning Palmer. I did so. I next saw Cook when he came in to his breakfast. Palmer was in the room. 
Palmer and I breakfasted first, and Cook came in directly after we had finished, and had breakfast in the same room. On the evening of that day, Cook, Palmer, and myself left for Rugeley, having previously dined together at the Raven. We started for Rugeley about six o'clock in the evening. We travelled by the express train from Shrewsbury. Palmer paid for the three railway tickets. On the way, Palmer was sick, and both Cook and he said they could not account for the circumstance of their being sick. Palmer vomited on the road between Stafford and Rugeley. We left the train at Stafford, at the junction, and then we got into a fly and proceeded to Rugeley, there being no train for that place. It was on the way to Rugeley that Palmer was ill and vomited. Palmer said he could not account for it unless it was that Cook had some brass vessel which he had drunk out of, or that the water was bad. There had been a great many people ill during the Shrewsbury races. I heard several people speak of their having been ill, who could not account for it. The distance by road from Stafford to Rugeley is about nine miles. Cross-examined by Mr. James. I have known Palmer all my life. He deals with me for saddlery. I have not been in the habit of going to the races with him, but I have gone now and then. I was at Shrewsbury races with him. I never was at Doncaster with him. I was there once with a gentleman named Robinson. I was at Wolverhampton races in August last. I went with Palmer. I did not sleep in the same room with him at Wolverhampton. I did not stop in the same hotel with him. I stopped with my brother-in-law in Wolverhampton. I believe I was there a couple of days. I did not dine or breakfast with Palmer. I was at Litchfield races with Palmer in September. Litchfield course is within ten miles of Rugeley. I did not sleep at Litchfield. I did not either go to Litchfield or come home with Palmer. I believe I have never slept in a double-bedded room with Palmer anywhere but at Shrewsbury. I never did. I never was at Worcester in my life. I paid my own expenses to Shrewsbury. Palmer paid the expenses of my living at the hotel at Shrewsbury and the fare back. He has never paid my expenses at any other races. If he has paid any expenses for me, I have deducted them from his bill. I dare say I went to some races with him the year before, I think two or three, but I can't call to mind how many. I had an interview with Palmer in Stafford Jail. I was with him a couple of hours. I should think that that was a month or five weeks ago. I cannot say when it was that I saw him. I cannot say whether it was before or after Stafford Assizes. Mr. Smith said he was going, and I thought I should like to see Palmer. I have stood half a sovereign, or a sovereign with him occasionally. I know what putting on a horse means. I did not bet at Shrewsbury. I did not back Cook's mare, Polestar. I have stood a sovereign with Palmer on a horse. The first time when I saw Cook at the Raven on the Wednesday evening was as near twelve o'clock as possible. I had not been dining with Palmer. I had dined at home at Rugeley. I arrived at Shrewsbury about eight o'clock. I went to the Raven. I knew the room which Palmer generally had, and I went up to see if he was there. That was between eight and nine o'clock. I went there direct from the railway station. I saw Cook at the door outside. He asked me what brought me there. I told him I was come to see how they were getting on. I found that Palmer had gone out and I then went into the town. I was away about an hour, and then returned to the Raven. I went into Palmer's sitting-room. Palmer was not there. I waited in the sitting-room till he came. 
There was a man named Shelley there. He was a betting man. I waited about a couple of hours before Palmer came in. I think he came in about twelve o'clock, but I can't say exactly. He came in with Cook. I saw that Cook was the worse for liquor. He was not very drunk, but I could see that he was the worse for liquor. The brandy and water was brought in directly. The brandy was in a decanter. I believe the water was on the table, but I cannot say. I should say the brandy and the tumbler were brought up together. I don't remember Mrs. Brooks coming. I don't remember Palmer being called out of the room. I remember a gentleman coming in. I know now that he was Mr. Fisher. Before Fisher came in, Palmer had not left the room. That I will swear. Palmer never left the room until he went to bed. I swear that positively. I was close to him the whole time. When Fisher came in, Cook asked Palmer to have some more brandy and water. Palmer said he would not have any more unless Cook drank his. It was evident to anyone that Cook was the worse for liquor. Cook said, I'll drink mine, and he drank it as a draught. Directly after he drank it, he said, there's something in it. He did not say, it burns my throat dreadfully. He said that the brandy was not good. I will swear he did not say, it burns my throat dreadfully, or anything of that kind. He gave it to someone to taste. I believe it was Fisher, but will not swear. I can't say whether it was Palmer or Cook who gave it to Fisher to taste. I believe there were only four persons in the room at that time. I can't say whether any other person came into the room before we went to bed. Cook had emptied the glass as nearly as possible. There was a little left in it. I can't swear whether Palmer touched the glass or not. I believe he did taste. I believe Palmer said he could not taste anything that was the matter with the brandy and water, and he gave it to Fisher. I don't recollect Fisher saying, It's no good giving me the glass, it is empty. I can't swear whether he said so or not. I should think we remained in the room twenty minutes after that. Cook did not leave the room before we went to bed. Palmer and I went straight up to bed. We left Cook in the sitting-room. I did not hear that night that Cook had been vomiting and was ill. I took one glass of brandy and water. We had one glass each. The water was cold. On the following day I dined with Palmer at the Raven. Mr. Cook served me with what I had to eat. During the first two days of the inquest I was at home at Rugeley. I did not go to the inquest. Re-examined by Mr. Grove. I was not subpoenaed for the Crown. I was examined, but not summoned. The Deputy Governor was not present all the time I was with Palmer at Stafford. He went out once, but another officer came in. Palmer did not say a word about this case. There was an officer present the whole time. The Attorney General. I wish to ask the witness whether he did not tell Mr. Gardner, when he was asked about the brandy and water, that he knew nothing about it. The Lord Chief Justice. There is no objection to that question. Witness. I never spoke to him about brandy and water at all. The Attorney General. Did you meet him at Heddensford, where Saunders lives? Yes. The Attorney General. Did you not tell him that you could recollect nothing about brandy and water? No. The Attorney General. Had you no conversation at all? I had with Mr. Stevens. The Attorney General. Did you not say in Mr. Gardner's presence that you could recollect nothing about the brandy and water? I did not. The Attorney General. 
were you not examined by mr crisp and mr sweeting before the inquest was held and did you not tell them that you knew nothing about the brandy and water no i did not the attorney-general you swear you did not tell them anything about it yes john sergeant examined by mr sergeant shee i am not in any business or profession i am in the habit of attending almost all public races in the kingdom i knew the late mr cook intimately and also the prisoner palmer i received a letter from cook during the shrewsbury races i was subpoenaed on the part of the crown i have not had any notice to produce that letter i have not got it i have searched for it but i had sent it to saunders the trainer i have made application to saunders for it the application was by letter i received a letter in answer i have seen saunders since i have done everything i could to get cook's letter i have not a copy of it but i know what its contents were the court decided that the contents of the letter could not be received at that moment as saunders perhaps might attend before the conclusion of the day examination continued i was not at shrewsbury and only know what cook stated in his letter shortly before cook's death i had an opportunity of noticing the state of his throat i was with him at liverpool the week previous to the shrewsbury meeting we slept in adjoining rooms in the morning he called my attention to the state of his throat the back part of the throat was a complete ulcer and the throat was very much inflamed his tongue was swollen i said i was surprised on seeing the state of his mouth that he could eat anything he said he had been in that state for weeks and months and now he did not take notice of it that was all that passed respecting the sore throat on that occasion he had shown his throat to me previously at almost every meeting we attended on the platform at liverpool after the races he took a gingerbread cayenne nut by mistake i saw him take it he did not know it was a cayenne nut he told me afterwards that it nearly killed him he did not state more particularly then the effect which it had produced on him i know that cook was very poor at the liverpool meeting that was the week before the shrewsbury races he owed me twenty five pounds and gave me ten pounds on account and said he had not sufficient to pay his expenses at liverpool but that i should have the balance of twenty five pounds at the shrewsbury meeting cook and palmer were in the habit of putting on horses for each other they did so at the liverpool meeting i put money on at liverpool for palmer and palmer told me that cook stood it along with him i heard cook a short time before his death apply to palmer to supply him with black wash i don't know whether it is a mercurial lotion i never saw cook's throat dressed by anybody cross-examined by mr james the black wash was not to be drunk a laugh the application was made to palmer at the warwick spring meeting in eighteen fifty five cook was at newmarket i lived in the same house with him there he was at nearly all the race meetings last year his appetite was very good and that surprised me the cayenne nut is made up for a trick and mixed with other gingerbread nuts cook got one of those i have tasted them some of them are stronger than others jeremiah smith by mr sergeant shee i am an attorney at rugeley i am acquainted with the prisoner and was acquainted with cook i saw cook at the talbot arms on friday the sixteenth of november he was in his bedroom i saw him about ten o'clock 
I was present at his breakfast. A small tray was put on the bed. He took tea for breakfast and had a wine glass of brandy in it. I dined with him at Palmer's house. I am not quite positive that I had seen him between breakfast and dinner. We had a rump steak for dinner. We had some champagne at dinner. We drank port wine after dinner. He had three bottles altogether, and Cook took his share. Cook, myself, and Palmer dined together. We left the house about six in the evening. Cook and I left the house together. We went to my house, and afterwards to the Albion Hotel, which is next door. We had a glass of cold brandy and water. Cook left me there. He said he felt cold, and warmed himself at the fire. He said he had borrowed a book, and would go home and read it in bed. That was between seven and eight o'clock, but I can't say exactly. In the afternoon, after dinner, we were talking about racing. I asked Cook for money, for fifty pounds. He gave me five pounds. When he was taking the note out of his pocket case, I said, Mr. Cook, you can pay me all. He said, No, there is only forty-one pounds ten shillings due to you. He said that he had given Palmer money, and would pay me the remainder when he returned from Tattersall's on the Monday. On the night following, Saturday night, he was not well, and I slept in his room. It was late when I went, I should think about eleven or twelve o'clock. I had been at a concert during the early part of the night on which Cook was unwell. He had got some toast and water and was washing his mouth. He was sick. There was a night chair in the room before the fire. I saw him sitting there. He tried to vomit, but whether he did so or not I cannot say, for I did not get out of bed. I went to sleep about two o'clock. I slept until Palmer and Bamford came into the room in the morning. I lay still in bed and heard a conversation between the doctor and Cook. Bamford said, Well, Mr. Cook, how are you this morning? Cook said, I am rather better this morning. I slept from about two or three o'clock after the house had become quiet. Bamford said, I'll send you some medicine. I don't recollect any further conversation. I know Mrs. Palmer, prisoner's mother. She sent a message to me on Monday, and I went to her and saw her. In consequence of what had passed, I went to look for the prisoner to see if he had arrived. That was about nine o'clock. I saw Palmer at ten minutes past ten. He came from the direction of Stafford in a car. He said to me, Have you seen Cook today? I said, No, I have been to Litchfield on business. On which Palmer said, he had better go and see how he was before he went to his mother's. Palmer and I went to Cook's room together. Cook said, You are late, doctor, tonight. I did not expect you to look in. I have taken the medicine which you gave me. We did not stay more than two or three minutes, and I think Cook asked me why I did not call earlier, and I said I had been detained on business. Cook said Bamford had sent him some pills which he had taken and he intimated that he would not have taken them if Palmer had come earlier. Cook told Palmer that he had been up talking with Saunders, and Palmer said, You ought not to have done so. Palmer and I left the room together, and we went straight to his mother's. The distance of Mr. Palmer's house from the Talbot Arms is about four or five hundred yards. We were there about half an hour. We both left together and went to Palmer's house. I entered with him, I asked him to let me have a glass of grog, but did not get it. I then went home. After dining with Palmer on Friday, I invited Cook and Palmer to dine with me on the next day, Saturday. Cook sent a message stating that he was not well and could not leave his room. 
I ordered a boiled leg of mutton for dinner, and sent part of the broth from the Albion by the charwoman. I think her name was Rowley. Previous to Cook's death, I borrowed two hundred pounds for Cook, and negotiated a loan with Pratt for him for five hundred pounds. The two hundred pound transaction was in May. I borrowed one hundred pounds of Mrs. Palmer, and one hundred pounds of William Palmer, making together the two hundred pounds to which I have referred. I knew that Palmer and Cook were jointly interested in one horse, and that they were in the habit of betting for each other. When Cook's horse was going to run, Palmer put on for him, and when Palmer's ran, Cook put on for him. I have seen Thirlby, Palmer's assistant, dress Cook's throat with caustic. I think this was before the races at Shrewsbury. I have some signatures of Cook's which I known to be in his handwriting. The two notes with instructions to negotiate the loan of £500 I saw Cook sign. The notes were put in. One of them is signed J.P. Cook, the other J. Parsons Cook. I knew from Cook that he was served with a writ. I do not remember that I received any instruction to appear for him. The letters put in were read by Mr. Strait, the clerk of arraigns. The first was without date and signed J. Parsons Cook, Monday. The following is a copy of the letter. Quote, My dear sir, I have been in a devil of a fix about the bill, but have at last settled it at the cost of an extra two guineas, for the blank discounter had issued a writ against me. I am very much disgusted at it. End quote. The letter was sent to me, but its envelope was destroyed. The next letter bore the date 25th of June, 1855. It was also without address, but witness stated that it had been sent to him, and he had destroyed the envelope. The following is a copy of the letter. Quote, Dear Jerry, I should like to have the bill renewed for two months. Can it be done? Let me know by return. I have scratched Polestar for the Nottinghamshire and Wolverhampton stakes. I shall be down on Saturday. Fred tells me Arabis will win the Northumberland stakes. End quote. The memorandum put in and read was signed J.P. Cook, and the following is a copy. Quote, Polestar three years, Sirius two years, by way of mortgage to secure £200 advanced upon a bill of exchange for £200, dated 29th of August, 1855, payable about three months after date. Cross-examined by the Attorney General. I am the person who took Mr. Myatt to Stafford Jail. I have known Palmer long and intimately, and have been employed a good deal as attorney for him and his family. I cannot recollect that he applied to me in December 1854 to attest a proposal for insurance on the life of Walter Palmer for £13,000 in the Solicitor's and General's Assurance Office. I will not swear that I was not applied to on the subject. I do not recollect that an application was made to me to attest a proposal for £13,000 on the Prince of Wales on Walter Palmer's life in January 1855. I know that Walter Palmer had been a bankrupt, but not that he was an uncertificated bankrupt. His bankruptcy took place at least six years ago. He had been in no business since that period to the time of his death. I knew that Walter had an allowance from his mother, and he had also money at various times from his brother William. In the years 1854 and 1855, I lived at Rugeley, sometimes at Palmer's house and sometimes at his mother's. 
There was no improper intimacy between myself and Palmer's mother. I slept at her house frequently, perhaps two or three times a week, having my own place of abode at Rugeley. How long did this habit continue of sleeping two or three times a week at Mrs. Palmer's house? Several years. Had you your own lodgings and chambers at Rugeley? Yes. Your own bedroom? Yes. How far were your lodgings from Mrs. Palmer's house? Nearly a quarter of a mile. Will you be so good as to explain why, having your own place of abode, and your own bedroom so near to Mrs. Palmer's, you were still in the habit of sleeping two or three times a week for several years at the house of Mrs. Palmer? Yes, sometimes there were members of Mrs. Palmer's family present. Who were they? There was Mr. Joseph Palmer, who resides at Liverpool, Mr. Walter Palmer too, and sometimes William Palmer. When you went to see the members of Palmer's family, was it too late when you separated to return to your own lodgings? We used to stop very late drinking gin and water, smoking, and sometimes afterwards playing at cards. Then you did not go to your own lodgings? No. And this continued several years, two or three times a week? Yes. Did you ever stay at Mrs. Palmer's house all night when there were no members of the family visiting? Yes, frequently. How often? as many as two or three times a week. When there were none of Mrs. Palmer's sons there? Yes. And when the mother was? Yes. How often did that happen? I cannot say. Sometimes two or three times a week. When there was no one else in the house but the lady? There was the mother, daughter, and servants. You might have gone to your own home then, for there was no one to drink brandy and water with, or to smoke with. I might have done so, but I did not. Do you mean, then, to swear solemnly that no improper intimacy subsisted between you and Palmer's mother? I do. Sensation. Now I will turn to another subject. Do you remember being applied to by Palmer to attest a proposal for the insurance of £10,000 on the life of Walter Palmer in the Universal Life Office? I do not remember. If you have any document which will show it, I shall be able to recollect, perhaps. Now, do you remember getting a five-pound note for attesting the signature of Walter Palmer's assignment of his policy to his brother? I do not. Is that your signature? Handing a document to witness. It is very similar to it. Is it not yours? I do not know. Sensation. Upon your oath, sir, is not that your signature? witness hesitating examine the document and then tell me on your oath whether that is not your signature witness examined the document now you have perused it tell me is not that your signature witness hesitating i have some doubts whether this is my handwriting sensation have you read the whole of the document i have not then do so Witness again perused the whole of the paper. Now, was that document prepared in your office? It was not. Have you ever seen it before? It is very much like my handwriting. That is not what I asked you. Upon your oath, have you ever seen that document before? Witness with hesitation. It is very much like my handwriting. Sensation. 
I will have an answer to my question. Upon your oath, sir, is not that your handwriting? I think it is not my handwriting. I think it is a very clever imitation of it. Sensation. Will you swear it is not your handwriting? I will swear it is not my handwriting. Renewed sensation. The Attorney General. Will your lordship please to take a note of that answer? Mr. Baron Alderson, did you ever make such an attestation as that in your hand? I do not remember. The Attorney General. Now is that the signature of Walter Palmer? Handing a paper to witness. I believe it to be. Is that the signature of Pratt? I do not know. Did you not receive that paper from Pratt? I believe I did not. I think William Palmer gave it me. Well, did he give it you? I don't recollect. I repeat my question. Did William Palmer give you that document? Most likely he did. Did he? I ask again. It was not signed at the time. But did he give it you? I will have an answer. I have no doubt he did. Well, then, if that document bears the signature of Walter Palmer and was given to you by William Palmer, cannot you tell whether it bears your own signature or not? Mr. Attorney, don't Mr. Attorney me, answer my question. Upon your oath, is not that your handwriting? I believe it not to be. Will you swear it is not? I believe it is not. Great sensation. Now, did you apply to the Midland Counties Insurance Office to be appointed agent to the company at Rugeley? I did. When was this? I should like to fetch my documents and papers. I should then be able to answer you accurately. Oh, never mind the papers. Was it in October 1855? I think it was. Did you send up a proposal for the insurance of £10,000 on the life of Bates? I did. Did William Palmer ask you to make that proposal? Bates and Palmer came together to my office with a prospectus and asked me if I knew whether there was an agent for the Midland County's office in Rugeley. I told him I never heard of one. He asked me afterwards if I would write to get the appointment because Bates wanted to raise some money. Did you send to the Midland County's office to get the appointment of agent in order that you might be enabled to effect this insurance on Bates's life? I did. Did you make the application in order to get the insurance effected? I did. Upon the life of Bates for £10,000? I did. Sensation. Bates was at that time superintending William Palmer's stud and stables. I do not know at what salary. I afterwards went to the widow of Walter Palmer to get her to give up her claim on the policy of her husband. She was then at Liverpool. William Palmer gave me a letter for Pratt to take to her to sign. Mrs. Palmer said she would like to see her solicitor about it. I brought the document back with me because she did not sign it. I had no instructions to leave it. Did she give any reason for not signing it? Mr. Sergeant Shee objected to the question. Lord Campbell decided that it could not be put. The Attorney General. Do you know whether Walter Palmer received anything on executing the assignment of his policy to William Palmer? I believe he ultimately had something. Did he not get a bill for £200? I believe he did, and he also got a house furnished for him. Was that bill paid? I do not remember. Is that document in your handwriting? 
document handed in. It is. Now, having seen that document with your signature, I ask you whether you were applied to to effect an insurance on the life of Walter Palmer. I do not recollect. Not recollect? When your signature is staring you in the face? No, I do not. You are an attorney and accustomed to business transactions? I am. Now I ask you again, were you applied to on the subject? I may have been. It is from my memory I am speaking, and wish, therefore, to speak as accurately as possible. Laughter. I don't ask you as to your memory in the abstract, but your memory now, as is refreshed by that document. Is that your signature? Witness, hesitating. I have no doubt it may be. Look at that document, and see whether you were not applied to to effect the insurance I have named. That is my signature. I ask you, have you any doubt that in the month of January 1855 you were called upon to attest another proposal for £13,000 on the life of Walter Palmer? Witness with hesitation. I may have signed that paper in blank. Did you sign this proposal in blank? I might have done. But did you? I ask again. I cannot swear I did, or did not. I have some doubt whether I did not sign several of these proposals in blank. Sensation. Upon your oath, do you not know that William Palmer applied to you to effect an insurance for £13,000 on the life of his brother? I do not remember. Why, this is a very large sum. Surely you must remember such a transaction as this. I may have been applied to on the subject. Were you applied to to attest another proposal for an insurance with the Universal Life Office? I cannot say that I was. Will you swear that when Walter Palmer executed the deed of assignment of his policy to William Palmer that you were not present? Now be careful, for you will certainly hear of this on some future day if you are not careful. I cannot say that I was. Upon your oath, did you not attest the deed of assignment of Walter to his brother of the interest in a policy of insurance for £13,000? I cannot say. I believe the signature, Jeremiah Smith, is very much like my handwriting. I repeat the question. I cannot say. Why, did you not receive a cheque for £5 for attesting it? I think I did receive a cheque for £5. Did you not see William Palmer write this upon the counterfoil of his cheque-book? Cheque-book handed to witness. Witness with hesitation. I cannot positively swear that I did. Did you not, sir, see him write it? That is William Palmer's handwriting, referring to the cheque-book. Did you not know that you got a five-pound cheque for attesting that signature? I may have got a cheque for five pounds, but I may not have got it for attesting the signature of the document. You say you got £200 for Cook, £100 from Mrs. Palmer, and £100 from William Palmer. Yes, and he gave me £10 for the recommendation. To whom? To William Palmer. Do you not know that the £200 bill was given for the purpose of enabling William Palmer to make up a sum of £500? I believe it was not for Cook received absolutely from me £200. Did he not have the money from you in order to take up to London to pay Pratt? No, he took it with him, I think, to Shrewsbury, to the races. Who was the bill drawn in favour of? 
I think William Palmer. What became of the bill? I do not know. Witness. I was not present at the inquest on Cook. I can't say who saw me when I went to the Talbot Arms and went into Cook's room. One of the servants gave me a candle, either Bond, Mills, or Lavinia Barnes. Re-examined by Mr. Sergeant Shee. I have known Mrs. Palmer twenty years. I knew her before her husband's death. I should say she is sixty years of age. William Palmer is not her eldest son. Joseph is the eldest. He resides at Liverpool. He is forty-five or forty-six years of age. I think George is the next son. He lives at Rugeley. He was frequently at his mother's house. There is another son, a clergyman of the Church of England. He resided with his mother until within the last two years, except when he was at college. There is a daughter. She lives with her mother. There are three servants. Mrs. Palmer's family does not visit much in the neighbourhood of Rugeley. Her house is a large one. I slept in a room nearest the old church. Mr. Sergeant Shee, is there any pretence for saying you have ever been charged with any improper intimacy with Mrs. Palmer? Witness, I hope not. Mr. Sergeant Shee, is there any pretence for saying so? Witness, there ought not to be. Mr. Sergeant Shee, is there any truth in the statement or suggestion that you have had any improper intimacy with Mrs. Palmer? Witness, they might have said so, but there is no reason. Mr. Sergeant Shee, is there any truth in the statement? Witness, I should say not. Mr. Sergeant Shee, when did it come to your knowledge that there was a proposal for Walter's life? Witness, I never heard of it until the inquest. The court then adjourned for about twenty minutes when the proceedings were resumed. W. Joseph Saunders was then called upon on his subpoena, but did not appear. The Attorney-General said he should be extremely sorry to commence his reply if there was any chance of witness making his appearance. Mr. Sergeant Shee said he should now ask for the production of a letter written by Cook to Palmer on January the 4th, 1855. The letter, of which the following is a copy, was then put in and read. Quote, Lutterworth, January the 4th, 1855. My dear sir, I sent up to London on Tuesday to back St. Hubert for £50, and my commission has returned ten shillings and one penny. I have therefore booked 250 to 25 against him to gain money. There is a small balance of £18 due to you, which I forgot to give you the other day. Tell Will to debit me with it, on account of your share of training Pyrene. I will also write to him to do so, as there will be a balance due from him to me. Yours faithfully, J. Parsons Cook, W. Palmer, Esquire. End quote. Mr. Sergeant Shee submitted that he was entitled to reply on a part of evidence. The course taken by the Attorney General on getting at the contents of the cheque, the contents of an assignment of the policy on Walter Palmer's life, and the contents of the proposals to various offices for the insurance he submitted entitled him to reply on those points. The Lord Chief Justice, we are of opinion that you have no right to reply. Mr. Baron Alderson, that is quite clear. The Attorney General said he had been taken somewhat by surprise yesterday by the evidence of Dr. Richardson with respect to angina pectoris. Dr. Richardson adverted to several books and authorities. 
He had now those books in his possession, and was desirous of putting some questions arising out of that part of the evidence. The court decided against the application. The case for the defence here concluded. End of section 19